Uh, good morning, church. Thank you for tuning in to this worship service. And if you have your Bible, I invite you to open it with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And that's one of the chapters we were reading this week uh, in our New Testament reading plan. And I promised you that uh, most weeks I would preach a sermon from one of the chapters you read this week and then journaled about. And so today it's going to be 1 Corinthians 13, which which is a, a beautiful chapter that people use in weddings a lot of times. It talks about love. And so I've titled this message, The World Needs Love. And I know many of us have been encouraged as we've seen people applauding and encouraging our medical profession, doctors and nurses and those who work as EMTs and so on. And, and, and we've seen the video of, of medical personnel from around the country arriving by bus in New York City and people on the street applauding and we've seen people doing that as people go into hospitals and it's been really really encouraging and you know we salute the staffs of our, our nursing homes that have been hit really hard with this coronavirus and the love they're showing their patients by showing up every day to do their jobs but it's equally true that we show love to people in simple ways small ways that sometimes encourage them and and bless them there's a a family in florida that has an, an 11 year old daughter named Emma, and she has type 1 diabetes, and it makes her very vulnerable to this uh, coronavirus. And so her mom taped a note to the front door so that uh, anyone who came to their front door delivering packages or for any other reasons would know that she was in the house and she was, and she was vulnerable. And the note said, someone in this house has an autoimmune disorder. And what really blessed me was reading about the FedEx driver who uh, showed up to deliver a package and he saw that note. So he went back to the truck and he got some disinfecting wipes and he wiped down the whole box for them and put it on the porch. And then he attached a note uh, to the box and, it, and his note said that I sanitized your box once I've seen the note on your door. And I was just blessed by this, this FedEx uh, employee going the extra mile to make this package safe for this, this family that had a girl with diabetes living in the house. And, and it's not that we always have to do big things. Sometimes the little things we do go a long way communicating to other people that we care about them, that we're thinking about them, and that they are valuable. It's simple acts, simple acts that make somebody feel appreciated, feel, feel loved and encourages them. There's a 101-year-old World War II vet living in, in the state of New York. His name is Alan Cameron. Recently, he had his birthday, but because of the, you know, staying in your house and not getting out and not allowing people to come into your house, you know, he, didn't, he, he couldn't have his whole family and friends there to celebrate his 101st birthday. And what really blessed me was reading about the fire department and the police department and his neighbors in that small town organizing a parade of cars. And so on a Monday, all of these cars drove by his house and people rolled down their windows and held out homemade signs wishing this World War II veteran happy birthday. They would blow their horns to say happy birthday. And, and then the picture in the paper was of this elderly man standing in the window of his house looking out at all of that, those cars and those people. And he was smiling and he was waving. And it's a simple thing. It's not a hard thing. It's not a big thing. It's a simple thing, but it blessed and encouraged him. And we have so many examples locally as well. Recently in Lancaster near Rock Hill, uh, 
officers with the, the police department and the sheriff's office and, 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 and uh, the fire department lined up their vehicles with their uh, lights flashing and they stood in a, in a row and created an aisle between them as the workers at the hospital there who, who work in the emergency room, the medical person were walking in for their shift and they had those sirens going in and they were applauding as those workers walked into the hospital. And, and sometimes it's just the little things that we do to go out of our way don't cost us a lot, but we go out of our way to say, somebody, you're special. You are of value. You are important. You matter. We care about you, and we support you, and we love you, and it encourages people. Recently, we had uh, our deacons meeting, our monthly deacons meeting at First Baptist Church, and it was a virtual meeting. We met via Zoom, and what really encouraged me and blessed my heart was for one hour listening to these men not only give us updates on how we could pray for them and their family, but updates on the ministry they had been doing, reaching out to people, our homebound members, people who had recently had surgery and were recovering at home, people who had lost loved ones and the funerals had to be downsized. And it was so encouraging to hear our deacons talk about how they were making phone calls, text messages, emails, some sidewalk visits to check on people, to care for people, even taking groceries to people. And it may not seem like a big thing, a telephone call, but it can be such a blessing to somebody who is hurting. And what about our families? We love to get together, whether it's for the traditional Sunday afternoon lunch. We just celebrated Easter, and many of us are used to having all of our family with us on Easter Sunday. We go to worship, and then we have lunch, and we get out in the yard and hide eggs and let the little kids hunt those eggs, and we take photographs, and it's a big celebration. But this year, this year was different, very different. And uh, Monisa and I, we most years have our whole family with us, our kids and our grandkids. And Monisa's always enjoyed preparing Easter baskets and for the kids and sometimes for the adult kids as well. And, and uh, this year, we weren't able to have our grandkids with us. So we sent those uh, Easter baskets. They were actually Easter buckets this year to our children to give to each of the grandkids, sent them by UPS and, and paid the extra money to have that done because we wanted our kids to know that we were thinking about them. Our grandkids know that, that Nana and Paul loved them. And even though we couldn't be with them and they couldn't be with us, they were still on our hearts and we wanted to encourage them and bless them in that way. I've seen so many pictures on Instagram and Facebook and other social media platforms of, of grandchildren and others visiting their grandparents and the elderly doing sidewalk visits as grandma or grandpa stays in the house with the storm door closed and they wave at each other and they talk through that glass door. We're standing in the garage as, as their grandparents stand on the stoop of the steps to the garage and they, 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 they social distance and they can't hug even though they want to, but they communicate to each other because family matters. And I really believe all we are dealing with during this difficult season is reminding us of how important it really is to love one another, to love our family, to love the people in our church, to love our neighbor, to be good to each other, to be kind to each other, and to encourage each other and to appreciate that. And 1 Corinthians 13 is a chapter that talks about love. Often young couples will choose to have part of this chapter read at their wedding. And today I want to take a few moments and read this passage and do a little teaching about it to encourage us in some practical ways as to how we can love each other. Because if, if this, this time of self-isolation, all we're going through is reminding us that love matters, 
I don't want us to forget this lesson on the other side of this virus. When things return to whatever the new norm is, I want us to remember how important love really is. And God's Word can help us do that, can help us know how to love even during ordinary days, normal days, not just the extraordinary days like now, but during the normal routine of life. And so let's see what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you have your Bible, you can follow with me, starting at verse 1, and we'll read through the first part of verse 8. Here's what the Word of God says about love. He says, and this is the Apostle Paul writing, he says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Then in verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, I'm, I allow myself to become a martyr, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Pretty powerful statements. And then the next several verses describe love. He says, love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. He goes on in verse 5 to say that love does not act unbecomingly, or some Bibles will translate it rude. It does not seek its own. It's not selfish. <clears throat> love is not easily provoked and does not take into account or keep a record of a wrong that is suffered. Love, he says in verse 6, does not rejoice in unrighteousness or evil, but instead it rejoices, it delights in the truth. Love bears all things, or some Bibles translate it covers all things. It believes all things, trusts all things is another translation. It hopes all things. It endures all things. And then he wraps it up this way by saying, love never fails. And I want us to learn some lessons about love <clears throat> from this beautiful passage in 1 Corinthians 13. And, and, and the first thing, and maybe the most important thing, is this, that love more than anything is what we do. It is a behavior. It is an action. More than a feeling. More than emotion. Yes, emotions are part of it. We all know what it, what it feels like to be in love, to care for somebody. There's an emotional component. But God's Word teaches us that love is first and foremost a behavior. An action is what we do. In those verses, 16 words are given to define or describe love. But what's interesting is in the original Greek of the New Testament in which this was written, that it's that, it's that each of those 16 words, those 16 descriptors, are verbs. None of them are adjectives. None of them are nouns. They're all verbs. And verbs are action words. They are things that we do. And so each description of love is a verb. It's an action word. And so again, love is seen not so much in what we say, not so much in how we feel, even though those things matter. But love is seen first and foremost in what we do, how we treat people, how we interact with people, what we fail to do. L love is seen in, in, in our behavior. And so that's the first lesson that I want you to take away. The second one is this, is that real love, God's kind of love, even though it's an action-oriented thing, it does certain things. And then there are certain things that it does not do. Notice that um, in this passage, there's 16 of them, okay? 16 verbs describing love. Eight of them are positive. Eight of them are negative or negated, if you will. In other words, eight of these verbs say love does these eight things. 
And then the other eight says, love does not do these things. And it's very, very specific. So let's begin by looking quickly at what this passage says love does, the positive things, the positive verbs. Love does these things. In verse 4, he says, love is patient and love is kind. Those two go together. If you will, think of love being patient as passive. It's what we refrain from doing. It's what we choose not to do. Whereas love is kind, is active. Love is, that, that's what we choose to do. The word patient means the, the opposite of short-tempered. It means we bear with the small things that annoy us. Rather than allowing the little things that irritate us to cause us to you know, puff up with anger and, and, and to blow off some steam and criticize and react and say some things, we, 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 we don't do that. Love is patient. It's not short-tempered. And so the things that maybe inconvenience us a little bit, uh, they don't matter as much because that person matters more. And so we have patience. And kind means we're considerate, means we're, we're helpful. Kind means we take some initiative to do something to bless somebody. And in this time, when, when our lives are kind of upended, and we can't do the things we're used to doing. And maybe you're together with people, with your family, more than you're used to, used to being together. That can be a blessing, but it can also be a challenge. Because those little irritations, those little things can pop up all of a sudden. And God says He wants you to learn how to love your wife, love your husband, love your children, your grandchildren, love your, your sister, your brother, love your parents, love your friends, and not allow all those little irritable things, all those little annoying things to cause you always to, to blow up and say things. Learn to be patient and learn to be kind. You're at the supermarket and everybody's trying to find toilet paper. Nobody can. You want to find some meat and the shelves are bare. It's so easy for us to lose patience so easy for us to become annoyed with somebody. Somebody comes up a little bit too close to us. And I understand that. I've, I've experienced that. But, but let's, as followers of Christ, allow God to work in our lives so that we are active in showing kindness and we're active in showing patience. Well, you drop down a few verses to the end of verse 6. He says that love is also something that rejoices or delights in the truth. That means that love, love appreciates integrity and honesty and accuracy, and, and morality, and ethics, and what is right, and the, the truth of God. And I, I really believe one of the problems we have in our modern culture is, is we, we don't value truth. We value winning. And so we have these extremes, whether you're on the extreme right or the extreme left, whether you're an extreme conservative or an extreme liberal, with the political divides, and, and how all of that is, is exacerbated with, with Twitter and cable news. And, and so we don't listen to each other. Even in our own relationships, sometimes we have a hard time talking to one another because we don't really listen. We just want to win. I'm way over here and you're way over there. And we're not interested in finding the truth and learning from each other. We're just interested in winning. And even if we have to hurt somebody and, and, and damage our community to win, too often we will do it. A lot of times in business, people will do that to make a profit. But God says love cares about the truth. It delights in and rejoices in the truth. He also says that it bears all things, or the NIV translates it protects. Because that root word means to, to cover something to protect someone or protect something by covering it by hiding it it's not the idea that we that we cover sin but it's the idea that we protect people from gossip by, by hiding that by covering that that we protect people from embarrassment by 
covering uh, certain things that, that we're not we're not there just to rip the band-aid off and show everybody everything whether it hurts somebody or embarrasses anybody or not that we protect them that that we 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 if you will we we bear with we put up with and we don't necessarily repeat everything that we hear we're not reacting to every little thing that happens and and so if i can help somebody be safe if i can help somebody be, be safe but not just revealing every little detail love does that it doesn't always expose people to hurt I, I remember years ago we had gary chapman at our church the author of several books on marriage the five love languages and he was doing a marriage conference and i remember him telling the story of 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 his wife having the the habit of not closing doors and not closing drawers and how that would get on his nerves and suddenly you know after a while god spoke to him and said said gary which is more important to you having all the drawers and the cabinets and so on closed, or your wife? And so God convicted him, and, and, and he stopped making an issue of that little irritable thing, and he started just gently closing the doors and not saying anything. And when he was telling that story, it was resonating with me, because if you came to our house, you'd see the same thing. My wife hates closing doors. She hates pushing drawers back in, and it irritates me. And, and I, I can remember those years of saying something, but God spoke to me, and so now I've, I've made it into a joke and don't say much about it. And I just gently close the door because she's more important to me than having all the drawers and all the doors in the house Close. Love covers. Love bears. Love puts up with things. And then he says, love believes all things, or some Bibles translate it trust. It means that we think the best of others. We don't think the worst, assume the worst. We give people the benefit of the doubt. And my beautiful wife is much better at that than I am. But God says love does that. He also says that it hopes all things. That's the idea that it's looking forward. It's looking into the future. It doesn't spend all of its time looking to the past and remembering what was done wrong, keeping a record of all those hurts. And every time something happens, you bring it back up and you're never able to move forward. The Bible says that love is a forward-looking thing. It's it's hopeful. It's optimistic. It doesn't allow the failure of the past. It doesn't allow the, the behavior of the past to determine necessarily the future or be the last word. It hopes. He also says that it endures all things, or some Bibles translate it as perseveres all things. It means that, that love holds on. It doesn't give up. It doesn't quit doesn't let the hard times win love endures love loves through serves through acts through the hard things in life and then finally he says love never fails or never ends that word literally means to fall down or to collapse and what he's saying is that under pressure love doesn't fall down it doesn't collapse it doesn't it doesn't die it doesn't give up it keeps going last I think about parents and grandparents who spend years praying for and reaching out to and trying to love a rebellious teenager, a rebellious young adult. I think about husbands and wives who've had to work through the pain and trauma of an affair. And I'm not, I'm not talking about couples who simply stay together. I'm talking about those who actually work through it and, and, and find reconciliation and find forgiveness. And then on the other side, because of the work they do from love, they end up having blessings in their relationship and maybe even a, a deeper love in their marriage. Love, lasts. In other words, love is strong. Love is not wimpy love is love is not a, a pushover love is not you do whatever you want to to me because it takes strength to love this way 
It takes strength to hang on. It takes strength to not allow every little thing to irritate you and say everything that comes to your mind. Love is strong. These natural emotions that flow out of us that cause us to say things and do things that hurt people, you don't have to be strong to do that. Anybody can do that. But if you're going to love the people in your life, then that takes strength. Love is not a weak thing. Love is a strong thing. But there are also listed here the things that love does not do. And let me run through these real quickly for the sake of time. He says that love is not jealous or envy. In other words, love means I can be happy for the other person and their success when good things happen to them, and I'm not envious and thinking, man, I wish that was mine. I celebrate with them. He says love does not brag or boast. It's not always drawing attention to me, not always making me the center of attention. I don't always have to inject myself into the conversation or into the story. He says love is not arrogant or proud. It's not puffed up seeing you know focused on on on, on what's what's in it for me what's what's uh, what's how am i better than you and then he says love does not act unbecomingly or some bibles say say rude or not dishonoring others it, it has the idea that when you're with people you don't do things and you don't say things that are inappropriate that are not polite that are crude rude indecent disgraceful that humiliates somebody and and this word actually has a sexual undertone to it i remember years ago monisa and our family were at the beach with members of the extended family and with friends as well large group and i remember being there and everybody's in their bathing suits and so on and 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 one man making some comments about his wife and it was a backhanded compliment, but it was inappropriate. He was making a comment about her, and he, he was inappropriately touching her in front of people, and it was indecent, and it was wrong, and it was embarrassing, and you could look at her face and tell that she was hurt. That's what this word is saying, that you don't do things that put somebody on the spot that embarrasses them, that hurts them, that is disgraceful, that is rude. Love doesn't do that. He says love is not easily provoked or not easily angered or irritable. It means you're not touchy all the time you know allowing every little thing to set you off because being a touchy irritable easily angered person destroys relationships over time it's it's like death by a thousand cuts and then he says love does not take into account a wrong suffered it keeps no records of wrongs in other words you're not keeping score you're not keeping a log if you will a written record of every time that person did this everything that person does something wrong and and, and you're looking at it and you never let it go you never forgive you never move past it so in the day today or tomorrow when they do something you go back oh you remember last year you remember 10 years ago love god says does not aren't you thankful god doesn't do that with us that god doesn't bring up everything in our past sometimes we do but he does not and God says, I want you to learn how to love those in your life that way. Is it always easy? No. But is it doable? Yes. Already grow in that direction? Absolutely. And then he says, love does not rejoice or delight in unrighteousness or in evil. We don't take pleasure in anybody's problem, anybody's pain, anybody's failure. No matter the reason for it, even if it's deserved, we don't rejoice in somebody else hurting. So let me kind of wrap this up with a, a few key takeaways, all right? Because I, I think this is a beautiful description of love that is not, not always in keeping with how our culture thinks about love. So here's a couple of key takeaways. Love is always a choice. And sometimes it comes naturally, but other times it doesn't. Quite often our, our reaction 
action, our emotion, our initial response to somebody is not loving. And so sometimes we have to choose to do what is loving. You know, when you, when you think about being patient and kind and not getting mad at the drop of a hat, that's a choice. It's a choice for most of us to be that kind of person. I remember hearing about a farmer's wife who wanted to bless her husband with a really special evening. He worked hard on the farm, and she, she just wanted him to know how much she loved him, so she had a friend come over to help her while he was out working in the fields all day. And, man, they cleaned the house and cooked a nice dinner and set the table with the best china, got everything ready. Problem was, her husband came home a little early that afternoon. And he walked into the house with his boots on, and, and he made his way over to the kitchen sink, and he washed his hands, and as he did so, he tracked mud on that clean kitchen floor. And her friend, the wife's friend, thought to herself, oh, this evening is ruined now. And under her breath, she said to the wife, oh, look at all that mud on the floor. And the wife responded very quietly to her friend, yes, his boots bring in the mud, but they also bring him in as well. And I think God wants us to have that attitude where the person matters more to us than the little things that often upset us. It's a choice. And if you want to have a great marriage, you want to have great relationships with your extended family, you want to have great relationships at work or in your neighborhood or in the community, you're going to have to learn how to overlook some things and choose to love the person and say the person is more valuable than that small irritation. Here's a second takeaway. Love means that I focus on others and their needs and their well-being more than I focus on myself. doesn't mean I never think about myself and my needs, but it means I don't go through life thinking first about the person I see in the mirror every morning. I go through life caring about other people and what they need and what will be a blessing to them. So when, you, when the Bible talks here about not being jealous and not seeking our own or being selfish and not bragging and not being arrogant, it's because we're putting others First, isn't that exactly what Jesus did when he died on the cross? He put us and our need, me and my need, you and your need, before his own comfort. Here's a third takeaway. Love treats all people well. Being kind, bearing all things, protecting people, not being rude. I treat people well. Here's a fourth takeaway. Love is positive and it's optimistic. Now, I'm not saying it's Pollyanna, but love is not negative. Love is not constantly filled with doubt, and love is not constantly critical. The Bible says in this chapter that love believes, and it hopes, and it trusts, and it endures, and it never fails. It's positive, forward-looking, and optimistic. And then here's the final takeaway. Love matters more. Love matters more. It's the most important thing. In the first three verses, he says, if I have the tongues of men and angels, if I can speak eloquently and beautifully but don't have love, I'm just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And then in verse 2, he says, if I know all prophecy and all mystery and have all knowledge, if I know all the things of God and all the things about the Scripture, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. He says, if I have the kind of faith that can move mountains, the kind of faith that creates miracles, but don't have love, I'm nothing. And then he adds, if I give, in verse 3, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor. Wow, think about that. 
such incredible generosity to give away all that you have to feed those who are less fortunate. And yet he says, if you don't have love in the eyes of God, it profits you nothing. And if I surrender my body to be burned, if I'm willing to be a martyr for the faith, if I'm willing to make sacrifices for the church, but don't have love in the eyes of God, it benefits us nothing. Love matters more. Why we do what we do matters. Why we choose not to do something matters in the eyes of God. And remember, God knows our heart. He knows it all. He sees it all. Sam was four years old when his uh, grandfather passed away. Called him Paul. And that resonated with me because as a little kid, I called my grandfather Paul. That's what my grandkids called me. And he was four, getting ready to turn five, and his grandfather, his Paul, dies, and they were close. And even at the age of four, Sam had, had some good memories, a lot of good memories. His mom was worried how he would deal with the grief and the loss of his Paul. And one day, Sam was sitting at the kitchen table coloring in his Spider-Man coloring book. And uh, suddenly, he broke the silence by saying, I love you too. And his mom was over at the counter, and she was startled by that, and she laughed a little bit, and she turned around to Sam, and she said, now, Sam, you remember, you only say, I love you, too, after somebody says, I love you, to you. And uh, Sam said, I know. Paul just said, I love you, Sam. And so I said, I love you, too. And she's a little bit puzzled, maybe a little bit concerned, and she said, Paul just talked to you. And Sam, this little four-year-old, he said, oh, mommy, he tells me he loves me every day. And he tells you, he tells you, too, you're just not listening. Sam wasn't hearing voices. Sam was hearing memories. And it's now, it's in these days, it's in these years, it's in this life that we create the memories that let people know, even after we're gone, you loved me. You cared about me. And so I encourage you today to choose to love God's way. To love His way because the world needs it. Your friends and your co-workers, they need it. Your family needs it. We all need to be loved this way. And we all need to be loving people this way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for this worship service. Thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us and for giving us the ability to love in a way that changes lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.